Well, last week Jason mentioned that we were going to team up together and do a three-part series on who Christ is as prophet, priest, and king. And I'm going to continue that today. Jason talked about his kingship last week. But, but it's important to understand why we chose to do this, because each of those offices, prophet, priest, and king, represent a promise that God made to be fulfilled in the coming Messiah. And so we want to really capture that picture as he intended it um, for us to see. And as we think about the examples um, of those offices, we know of people all throughout Scripture who fulfilled one of those offices. So if you think about king, you think of uh, King Saul, King Solomon, King David. We know that there's a promise specifically made to King David that the coming Messiah would be in that royal lineage from that throne of King David. We know about prophets. We know about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Moses. In fact, as we will see this morning, one of the promises of the Messiah would be that he would be a prophet like Moses. And we'll understand what that means a little bit more this morning. So you have kings, you have prophets, and you have priests, the descendants of Aaron. People like uh, Phineas, Zadok, Ezra. These are individual people fulfilling these individual offices. And only very rarely do you see any one purpose, uh, any one person fulfilling more than one office. Uh, uh, one of those rare examples is Melchizedek, a fairly mysterious character in Scripture. We'll look at him a little bit next week. But he was priest and king which set him apart, very unique in comparison. But what's important to understand is that there is only one, the promised Messiah, who would fulfill all three offices in one person, prophet, priest, and king. And all these fulfillments will be far exceedingly greater than what anyone ever expected. For example, just think about kings. So the expectation of the king would be that he would come and conquer the enemies. That he would overrun the foreign rulers. That was the expectation. But what we know about King Jesus is that he came to conquer sin and death. We, knew that, we know that his rule was not just an earthly rule. It extends into both earth and heaven. And the scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow... And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And until that day, he doesn't sit some distant way apart from us on some throne in a crystal cathedral. But we know as believers in Jesus Christ that he rules and reigns in our hearts as his people. We have the privilege of extending that promise of salvation to the uttermost parts of the world. That fulfillment of who Jesus is as king far exceeds what anybody ever anticipated it would be. See, it's God's infinite wisdom to use these well-known offices to, to give us a picture of what this Messiah would be, what he would, what he would look like. And it seems like with, with each of those uh, offices, we get a little bit clearer picture of what he's intended to be. It reminds me, and ironically, my glasses just broke this morning, and I can see you sort of, but they're a little bit cockeyed, so forgive me if I look at you like this, you'll know why. <laughs> I'm just trying to find you. There you are, so that's great. 
But if you think about going to the eye doctor, okay, and you sit down and they show you this poster on the opposite wall and they'll say, can you read any of those numbers or letters? And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, if I could, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so they sit you down in the chair and they put this little thing in front of you and they put a series of lenses to change the magnification to help bring clarity to those letters on the opposite wall. And they'll ask you that question, is one or two better? One or two. And they'll go through this series, and, and they're giving you different magnifications, a lot of times stacking these lenses until ultimately they find that right magnification that you can look at that across the wall at those groups of letters, and, and you can see them much more clearly than you could otherwise, right? Well, I want to suggest to you that the offices of prophet, priest, and king are each like a new layer of magnification so that without them, it, it's fuzzy. It's unclear. But you put in one lens, and now you kind of can see it. You put in another lens, oh, it's a little bit more clear. You put in that third lens, and all of a sudden, absolutely, no question, I see it clearly. That's the reason that, that God gave us these offices and these promises through them to help us see and know clearly, yes, that is the Messiah, the one promised. And so that's what we're going to begin to look at this morning. It really does beg the question, do you see? Do you believe? Is, is what we are celebrating here in just a few days just a historical event in history? Or is it the fulfillment of promises made long ago about a Savior, a King, a prophet who speaks the very words of God? Because he is God himself. And the promise of redemption found through him. Can you see it? Do you believe that that's true? Well, we're going to put another lens on this morning. And hopefully it will become a little more clear to you when it's all said and done. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you this morning. We know that you are very intentional that you uh, went to great lengths to make sure that we understood that that baby in a manger was not just another human figure born in the history of mankind, but this was the Savior, the promised one, our Messiah. And so as we look through the lens of prophet this morning, give us some clarity as to the great role that he fulfilled that was far greater than anything we could have ever asked or imagined on our own. And maybe in some ways would this bring some clarity to what we will celebrate here in just a few days about who he is and what he came to do and give us a whole new reason to celebrate in a much more significant way. That's our request, Father. And so we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me talk to you about prophet in very general terms, okay? Prophet in very general terms simply means spokesperson. So to think about that in, in terms of what you might uh, experience on a day-to-day -day basis in our lives today, the White House press secretary, okay? You know who he is because he comes out and stands in front of that podium, and when he speaks, he's speaking on behalf of who? The president. So in a very general sense, he is the president's prophet, he is the spokesperson so that what he says represents what the president wants him to say. 
okay? How many of you have a power of attorney to address uh, life decisions when you're incapable for some medical reason of making those decisions yourself? You've typically appointed somebody to do that for you. And in some sense, they are serving in a profit role because they are carrying out your wishes on your behalf. They are representing you. They are your spokesperson. Okay? So in a general sense, that's what a prophet is. And the Bible actually applies it in that general sense as well. Let me give you an example. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And we're going to look at several passages. So I've made it easy on you to put it on the screen. But if you want to look or write these down, you sure can. So Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh... And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. What he's saying there is Aaron's going to be your spokesperson. You're concerned about your speech impediment and your ability to communicate clearly. So Aaron will go with you. And he will speak on your behalf. He will be your prophet. So in a very general sense, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of another person. But when you turn to scripture and you begin to look at what it means to be a prophet of God. You begin to understand that it gets much more specific because now you have an, an individual appointed by God to speak on behalf of God. And that responsibility has very clear direction. Let me give you an example of Jeremiah chapter 1. As I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah was one of the prophets. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God puts his words into the mouths of his prophet. So what they speak is a direct revelation of God. His words through the mouth of his prophets which is why God is always the one who chooses who his prophets will be and that's why no one can stand up and say I'm a prophet as if they are self-appointed because that doesn't exist in scripture in fact if you will look at the prophets almost to a person they all try to talk God out of appointing them as a prophet for some reason we just read Jeremiah says I'm too young Moses said, I stutter. I can't represent you. Jonah said, I refuse to go to a people that I despise and tell them to repent because I'd rather see them die. And he ran the other way. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man 
of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. To a person, they're all trying to explain to God why they are unqualified for the task that he's called them to. And in every single example, God has intervened in such a way that he shows them, you're right, but I will qualify you. I will touch your mouth. I will give you my word so that you speak my truth. This is not up to you. This is up to me. Be faithful, and I will be faithful to you. I think maybe one of the reasons that these men tried to explain their way out of the job is they knew the significance of the job they were being asked to do. Let me show you what that looks like. This is a little bit of the job description, I guess you could say. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. It says, But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now you can see why they were trying to explain their way out of it, right? He goes on to say, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. He shall, you shall not be afraid of him. Twice he uses that word presumptuous. It's an arrogant assumption would be a good description of what that means. It's the idea that somehow I have a unique ability given to me by God that sets me apart from everyone else so that I alone know the will of God. I alone can tell you what God's plan is for your life. It's an arrogant assumption made based on independent analysis, that I'm the one. The image that I have in mind, and I don't know that you see it as much today, but I do remember seeing it so often when I was in high school and college, and that's these, the televangelists, right, that are sitting there, and, and supposedly they're getting direct messages from God in that moment. And, and there's a woman who has back pain, and I'm thinking, okay, you just narrowed it down to several billion people. Right? And, the, and then he's going to give this message from God to this woman. That's an arrogant assumption. Because you don't choose to be a prophet. God chooses, and he makes it very clear so that his words are put in your mouth for his purposes. A prophet is chosen by God, they're humble in their obedience to God, and they are careful and even unwilling to make arrogant assumptions about what's on the mind of God. They're very careful to communicate only those truths that He has confirmed. And they really fall into two specific categories. If you look throughout Scripture, you're going to find these. The first category is what we're most accustomed to. It's... Uh, foretelling, or, or when you think about prophecy, something yet future, okay? A good example of that is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's very appropriate for this season, this time of year, where God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. 
And he says in uh, verse 14, which is us. Verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the prophet Isaiah being told by God words of things that were happening yet future. And we know that those words ultimately will fulfilled in the birth of our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Foretelling. But a second category that you see happen frequently is what I'll call forthtelling. It's God's will in a certain circumstance happening in that moment. Okay, Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Isaiah chapter 1, we'll stay there. Isaiah chapter 1. Listen as I read in verse 10. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, of blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Goes on in verse 16 and says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Those are the words of Isaiah in the context of the people of Israel who were living in rebellion against God, going through the motions of all the sacrifices, and it meant absolutely nothing to them. And he says, I detest that. Because it's not your sacrifices that I desire, it's your heart. So repent. Turn to me, find forgiveness. Let your sins be washed clean by trusting in my provision. What I want you to understand about the heart of a prophet as they speak the words of God to the people is that they're always intended to reveal a path of restoring a relationship with God that has been broken by sin. That is the heart of the prophet. That is the heart of God spoken through the words of the prophet. And if you look closely, you'll see a pattern repeated over and over again. A message, which is a call to repentance, a, a means for forgiveness, a hope of redemption. That's the word of the Lord through the mouth of the prophet. It's not just interesting trivia. Biblical prophecy always has a redemptive goal in mind. Which is why the New Testament connects the office of prophet to the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's a redemptive goal in mind. And what we're going to see here is what Jesus fulfills in that office of prophet far exceeds what anyone ever imagined it would be. Let's look at that together. Turn over to Acts chapter 6. I have these 
up on slides, but it'd be good to follow along with me. So turn over to Acts chapter 6, and let's look at this together. Not 6, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, and I'll talk about this here in a little bit, but they're speaking about a man who was born crippled, who has just been healed. And it says, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them and the so-called portico of, of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or, or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety, we made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, his servant, Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. A fact that we are all witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him the perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter and John are walking into the temple. And on their way, they see this man, as we read earlier on, you can see that he was born crippled and apparently had been placed there at the temple all of his life to beg for alms. Everybody knew this man. And when, Jesus, when, when uh, John and, and Peter were walking through the temple, they took the opportunity, as inspired by the Spirit of God at work within them, to heal this man. And they were amazed. All the people came around and said, how did this happen? And, and Peter and John said, what do you mean, how did this happen? Why are you so amazed? We are not doing anything that Christ himself hasn't already done. Jesus did the very same thing in the very same place. It's he who is at work within us. They go on to explain, remember, he's the one you crucified. But God has raised him, to which we are all witnesses look again at verse 16 because it's important it says and on the basis of faith in his name this man has been healed i was reading this passage this week thinking about our time together this morning and it made me think about this crippled man this is a little side note but here's where it took me this man has been there since early on in life and apparently been in this same place many years where all the people knew about him. Every day they placed him in this same place at the temple to beg for money because that's the best he could do. Year after year after year. Now turn to Matthew chapter 21 with me. Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse 12, Matthew chapter 21. And Jesus entered the temple 
and drove out all who were buying and selling in the temple, overturned the tables of money, the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Now look, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. It's the very same place. And it made me think, I bet he was there. The crippled man that Peter and John had encountered was there. Because they had placed him in that same place every single day. And now they were walking right where Jesus walked. And that's why they said, why are you surprised? Jesus has already done this. But I think about that crippled man. And one of the reasons that I believe that he is singing the praises of God. is Because he's had a second chance. I don't know what it might have been like that first time. Maybe he had more fear than he had faith. More doubt than he had belief. But for whatever reason, he was unwilling to believe. But now he's got a second chance. And it's belief in that name of the one he once saw do something for someone else has now done that something for him. He was healed through faith in Christ. He was given a second chance. And I believe that's important to understand because of what Peter goes on to say in our passage. So go back to Acts chapter 3 and look at verse 17. He says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he, Jesus, has thus fulfilled. Therefore, look at the words of the prophet. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, Peter's looking at them and saying, I understand the first time was in ignorance. <laughs> but just like the crippled man, you too have been given a second chance. Because we're here today to tell you that the one that you had crucified has raised from the dead. And the man that was healed was healed in his name. And if you turn to him, repent, you'll be washed of your sins. And the days of refreshing will come. Repentance, forgiveness, redemption, it's the words of the prophet spoken through the apostles. Now look at verse 20. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, now listen, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. What Peter is doing, he's saying, is that the man that they spoke of, when Moses said that there will be one raised up like me, that's Jesus. He's the one. A prophet like me. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I want you to see specifically what Moses said 
to the people. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We were there a little earlier, but we're going to back up to verse 15. Verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses speaking, from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you ask of the Lord God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded them. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So when Peter makes that Old Testament quote, this is the passage that he's going back to. The words spoken by Moses inspired by God about someone who will be raised up through their countrymen, through the Jewish people, through the Israelites, a prophet like Moses. You'll know that when I read that, I thought, well, what does it mean to be a prophet like Moses? What makes Moses unique in comparison to to other prophets? Well, it's interesting in that passage, it talks about how the people asked For Moses to do what he was doing because they didn't want to do it themselves. They were fearful. And let me show you why. Deuteronomy chapter chapter 5. This is a very common passage. You'll remember this. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments, okay? You know Moses had a big role in that, right? So, So listen to the account in Deuteronomy of that occasion. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. Remember, this is what they're referring back to. While I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now go down to verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly on the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick gloom with a great voice. And he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice in the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and elders. You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord God says. Then speak to us that the Lord God speaks to you. We will hear it and we will do it. 
Then the Lord heard the voice of the words which he spoke to me. And the Lord said, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you, and they have done well, and that they have spoken. And that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. That's the occasion that Moses is speaking to that then Peter recounts in Acts chapter 3. The whole idea here is that Moses had a very unique relationship with God. A relationships that allowed him to hear the very words of God and yet live to tell about it. I don't know what that experience had to be that day on the mountain, but it must have been awesome. It must have been breathtaking. It must have been so humbling to see the fire, the mountain, and the voice of God thundering for all the people to say, Moses, we want you to be the one, not us. So if you listen and and speak the words of God, we will do what you say, but we can't go before God and live. We're going to ask that you be that one. A special relationship that Moses had with God. I want to point out just a few things that relate to who Moses is. And then I want you to see how they are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ at a far greater level. You'll remember, as it says in here, that Moses came to rescue the people in Israel who were enslaved in Egypt after 400 years. Might not surprise you that there were 400 years of silence that preceded the time when Christ was born. 400 years of slavery, 400 years of silence. Moses was chosen by God. He tried to talk God out of it, but he was, in fact, chosen by God. Jesus himself was sent by God. He submitted to the will of God so that he said, not your will, but, my, but not my will, but your will be done. Moses clearly had a unique relationship with God. In fact, you may remember he said, show me your glory. And God said, you cannot see the fullness of my glory and live. So remember, he just showed him the backside. And it was of such significance that when Moses came down from the mountain that day, his face glowed to the point that he had to cover it with a veil because all the people were afraid of what had just happened. He had a unique relationship. He wanted to see the glory of God, but not Christ. He didn't have just a unique relationship. It was perfect fellowship. And he, in fact, came so that the radiance of God's glory, the very perfect representation of his nature, was seen in the life of Jesus Christ. God spoke to Moses through thunder and and lightning and that burning bush God spoke to us through Christ in gentleness and meekness and grace and love through Moses we see the institution of the old covenant that list of laws and requirements in Christ we see the blood of the new covenant where that old covenant was fulfilled in him and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins You may remember in 
the life of Moses, he lifted up that serpent, that bronze serpent, so that the people around them were healed. But it was Jesus who was lifted up on the cross so that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Moses spoke of that Passover lamb that was to rescue the people of Israel from that angel of death. Jesus himself was the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Moses delivered the people from Egyptian slavery. Jesus delivers his people from slavery to sin and death. Do you see? A prophet like Moses, but far greater in every aspect of who he was. Now look at verse 22 back in chapter, or chapter 3 of Acts. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning Every one of you from your wicked ways. Peter is telling his fellow Jews that like that crippled man, they were there to announce to them a second chance. That this is the one who was risen up from your people like Moses, but as we see, far greater in every aspect. In fact, as the writer of Hebrews says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. You see, Jesus is not just a prophet like Moses, a, a prophet among other prophets. He is the one that all the prophets spoke of. Believing in Him is what brings new life. That's what verse 26 says. The reason God sent Him was to bless you. Jesus accomplishes what all the other prophets foretold. He's the only one who can restore that relationship with God that has been broken by sin. He is the Passover lamb. He is the means of our forgiveness. He is the hope of our redemption. As we think about that, especially during this season, I want you to consider something with me. I think there's an amazing truth in the reality that God cares enough to speak to us. He, he didn't send someone to speak for him, that ultimately the word became flesh and God spoke for himself. The law was given through Moses. Those were those requirements. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. He's the solution. 
the old covenant had repeated sacrifices knowing that they could never take away sin. That was not their intent. It was a reminder of sin so that we would look to God for his answer of redemption, which is in Jesus Christ. One sacrifice for all sins, for all who believe, for all time. Forgiveness, redemption, and a secure hope found in him. God did not remain silent. He spoke finally and completely through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, as we say that, I want it to come home. Literally, I want it to go home with you. Because God still speaks. God still speaks into our lives in significant ways. And we have the privilege of His words in this book. So that for some of us, during the holidays, this is an exceptionally difficult time. One of the reasons is, is because stress makes trouble surface to the top. And so if there's trouble in marriages, it really gets bad during the holidays. If there's brokenness in families, it rises to the top during the holidays. And so what I want you to hear is that God speaks truth into all those situations in order to bring redemption and healing for those who trust Him. God still speaks. There are some of us who have issues of, 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 of habits of sin, of addictive issues in our life. And we need to believe in our heart that God still speaks, that there's still an answer. There's still hope. And that He hadn't gone silent on us. And I want you to know that He still speaks into your life. He speaks into our pain. He speaks into our sorrow. He speaks into our guilt. He speaks into our shame. The Scripture tells us very clearly There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you look at the life of Christ, when you celebrate His birth during this season, you know that He speaks life and grace and truth and hope and redemption. God still speaks. Maybe you're like the crippled man. This is no new information to you. You've heard it before. But maybe you were too afraid. You had too much doubt. But now there's a second chance. And God is still speaking. The question is, are you listening? And do you believe? I talked to somebody this week who shared... honestly, about a situation that had happened in their past, a a situation that that impacted their marriage, impacted their family. And their comment to me was, we'll always walk with a limp because of what has happened in the past. I heard those words, and in my heart I said, no, that is not true. Because God makes all things new. And when he has healed you, You don't walk with a limp. You run and you sing the praises of God because he has made you well. And so rejoice in that truth. Let God speak truth and life, hope and forgiveness, redemption in his name. We don't walk with a limp. 
we run with the joy and excitement of being made new. A new creation in Christ. Because we have heard the words of life and we have believed in our Savior Jesus Christ. So when you celebrate Christmas, I want you to listen for his voice and the hope and redemption that is found in him. God still speaks. And he has spoken finally and completely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate that together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You have spoken fully and completely in him. You have shown us the way of forgiveness, the hope of redemption, so that we, like that crippled man, may believe by faith in his name, faith in what he accomplished on our behalf, faith in the promise of a new creation, old things have gone, new things have come. Father, may we live in celebration during this holiday especially, knowing that that gift that we have through Christ is the gift of salvation, being made new in his name, because you speak life to us through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that promise. We pray this in your name. Amen.